Our scripture today comes from the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Rome. In the 12th chapter, we begin with the 17th verse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought that what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God add his blessing to our hearing of his word. When Jeremy and I met a few weeks ago to talk about the Advent series and what was going to happen in it, he had a uh, number of sermon titles with scripture. And he said, you can pick first because you're going to be here the first Sunday of Advent. And I picked first. I'm not sure I picked wisely, but I picked first. The title, the title, Deliver Us from Conflict. I would like to say I picked that title because I've never been in conflict in my life. Oh, that's right, I served, I pastored here, didn't I? Uh, I would like to say I picked it because I'm an expert on conflict. I'm an expert on being in it, not necessarily solving it. In all seriousness, I picked it because of two things. I sense that our country and even world is in more conflict than we have been in a long time. As a historian, I'm not new to conflict, but, but we have been in an awful lot of conflict. And some of it may relate to the COVID and all that's going with it, and some of it may relate to communication and the internet and all of those things, and some of it may relate, well, we're not exactly sure why. But people feel like they have the freedom to express whatever crosses their mind. And some of the time, that begins a conversation that only goes downhill. Yesterday, last evening, as I was looking at what I was going to say today for about the 18th time, I realized that I sometimes, in dealing with conflict, and especially the title, Deliver Us from, Con from Conflict, where in this series we are talking about God delivering on time and supply chain and all that goes with that, I felt a little bit like the ravine in Alabama where hundreds if not thousands of FedEx boxes were discovered. They'd been dumped there. Could it be that God has dumped all of the wisdom and <coughs> experience that we can have on uh, uh, conflict? Oh, I'm not going to let us, let us off that easy. I'm going to ask for someone to go in the office and get me some water. Could somebody do that? Otherwise, things are going to be very short. <coughs> Do we really believe that God can deal with us in conflict? 
Well, sometimes we do. Especially when we're sure that we are right and everyone else is wrong, and if we just turn up the volume, things will be better. I remember one time when I was perhaps a youngster of 10 years old, and my one sister was 7 years old, much smarter than I am, but the two of us were in a discussion. It was getting out of control. And since I was the big brother and had more of a voice, it was really getting out of control. And my mom came in and said, Steve, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just trying to enlighten my not-so-smart sister to the truth that I have so she'll be better able to function in school and this family. You can imagine how that went over. Conflict is not solved by getting louder and louder and louder. How then can we deal with conflict? Some context conflict is rather trivial. Is Babe Ruth or Henry Aaron the best baseball player that ever lived? Does it really make that much difference? Well, it might to me when we're arguing, but is that really the issue? But then there is some conflict that is grounded in our experience. I went to seminary at Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. Wilmore, uh, the college and the seminary were planted there because they had some of the leaders had come out of Cincinnati. It was about 90 miles from Cincinnati in the middle of nowhere in the early 1900s, and they went there because they wanted to be as far away from sin as they could. What that meant is that those of us that were there and needed to work oftentimes would have to go into Lexington, that was some 20 miles away, and Susan and I were like 90% of the couples that one was in seminary, and it meant that one would work full-time and the other would work part-time and you would try to survive financially. That is except for the students from Texas. You see, there was a rich oilman from Texas, one of the conferences in Texas, and he said, if you will go to Asbury Seminary, I will pay your tuition and living expenses and your spouse won't even have to work. Now, let me get to the crux of the story. Well, I'm working midnight shift at, at uh, UPS sorting boxes, and Susan's working at the University of Kentucky, and I'm trying to balance all of those things and going to school and all that. Do you know what these students from Texas were doing? They were playing tennis. They were casually reading. They had the world by the tail. Why do I bring that up? Because my dislike for everyone from Texas has a basis in some truth. What I have said is very true. And in my twisted way, I'm able to rationalize that if two sports teams are playing and one's from Texas, I know who I'm against. And 
I don't usually share the story with people from Texas, but I can tell you it's going in my mind to try to find out something that's wrong with them. Conflict. Conflict. It can have a basis in truth, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. For somewhere in my life, I've allowed that to grow and grow and grow, and I'm only now realizing that perhaps I need to take another look at it. We're good at rationalizing, aren't we? And I sense I may not be the only one. Conflict has been a part of politics. It's been a part of governments. It's been a part of churches. It's been a part of every organization that we deal with. And with that, we bring our own experiences, and sometimes they're flawed. Sometimes we only see a portion of what is the reality There was a church that my dad pastored when I was in middle school in northern Wisconsin. And they had grown very significantly in this small town, and they knew they needed a new church. So they got together, they got some blueprints that would triple the size of the church, and they began with volunteers to work on that church. And over a period of a year, they built a beautiful northern Wisconsin house of worship. But there was a problem right near the end of the uh, building. It was a church that when you looked from the back to the front, there was a center pulpit, there was a, a Sunday school classroom on the right, a Sunday school classroom on the left, and both of those were rather small, and there was a wall that was not like the rest of the building that went up like this. It was not wooden. It would have been plastered over. And it had a cross that came out from the wall, and there was recessed lighting, and it was very, very beautiful. Do you know what the issue was that caused the conflict? The issue was whether that wall should be pure white or have one one-hundredth tint of blue in it to pick up the blue in the carpet. And the chairperson of the building committee, who had literally given his life for the planning and all of that for the church, left the church and was gone for 25 years over that. Now, we can say, how foolish! But is that any more foolish than not liking people from Texas? Conflict. The causes, the causes may make sense to some of us who are in the middle of it, but that doesn't necessarily make sense to everyone else. And sometimes part of the problem is we don't have the whole story. The story is told of a small town in Indiana where there was a hardware store that was run by two brothers. Their father had started it and uh, they had taken over. They were now close to middle-aged, and it was one of those small-town hardware stores that had everything in it. But something happened to the brothers, whose relationship was very good. There was $5 missing from the till. It had been placed on top of the till, and it didn't get put in the till. 
And one brother said to the other brother, are you sure you didn't take that? And the other brother said, are you accusing me of taking it? And from there, it escalated. It escalated to the place where for 20 years, those brothers only spoke to each other at work. The whole small town knew about it. It hurt the business because people didn't want to walk in the midst of a conflict. And the pain, the pain in that family was so damaging. 20 years later, a young man, 37, 38 years old, 35 years old, came by, dressed very nice. And he said, can I speak to the owner? And one of the brothers says, I'm the owner. And the other brother says, I'm the owner. And then the young man told his story. He said, I had a rough childhood. I stopped by this hardware store some 20 years ago. I was going to ask for a job. But I came in the door as someone was leaving and one of the two of you went to the back and you started discussing something about a pipe that I didn't understand at all and I looked at the counter and I could reach across and I took that $5 bill. And I slid to the side and I opened the door as quietly as I could and I left. And that $5 allowed me to eat for that whole week. But oh, how I paid for that because I knew it was wrong and and then in the midst of the story, he looks at these two owners and he sees the tears that are welling up and he sees, he sees and hears a story of how they have not spoken with peace in that 20 years and how they had blamed each other for everything that was going on and that young man got to see them hug and reconcile, although the damage had been so deep and severe that things were not all right. Conflict had grown and grown and grown until all in the community knew it, only because they hadn't seen the whole story. I'm going to quickly follow the Apostle Paul as he is involved in three conflicts. And then, I'm going to go back to Romans 12 that we read before and see if it makes a little more sense to us. The Apostle Paul was one of those dynamic, extrovert, brilliant, and we could go on, deep person of faith who was there to lead the church during its first century of existence. He was a man of faith and courage and strength, and he used all of that. In 1 Corinthians 9, you'll read the story of a conflict he was involved with in, in Corinth. Corinth was one of those new, vibrant churches that had a lot of passion, but not a lot of breaks on the passion. And Paul 
Paul was helping the church grow, but he was also helping the church mature in their faith, for they had newly experienced the grace of God, and they wanted the whole world to experience that, and they were about telling the story of faith. And there was an issue that was dividing the church. It was dividing the church so strong that some said, I will not go to worship if I have to worship with you because you don't have it right. And they turned to Paul and said, who is right? The issue was food. At that time in Corinth, the butcher's union had a monopoly on all meat. And what happened was, before the meat was sold, they would walk into the meat store or where it was being processed and have a blessing of it. Those were the kind of religious people that had nothing to do with the reality of Christ and nothing to do with Christianity as we understand it, but were part of some of the cults that had many other issues that these people had gone away from. And one group said, I can't eat that meat if those fallen priests are blessing it. And the others said, we know that they have no power. Why should it keep us from eating it? And the debate raged back and forth. And the Apostle Paul said, I believe I have every right to eat that meat. Because those, those false priests that are blessing it are just offering babbling words that mean nothing. But I'm not going to eat it. Because if it's an issue for some of you, it's, not an, ish, it's an issue for me. For I want us to grow together in faith. One way of dealing with conflict. A second experience of conflict. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are making their way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the mother church of all Christianity. And they liked the power that they had, and they had certain understandings of how you should live if you were going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it meant that you would follow all of the Jewish laws that came before and Paul and Barnabas, but especially Paul, argued for the grace of God that these Gentiles had experienced and argued strongly until finally, through God's intervention and through packages of faith being delivered, Paul affirmed, along with the people the Jewish leaders in the Christian church there, that the church was open to all people, not just merely those who were following the historical Jewish laws, not just the, Jew, the Jews of that time. Paul had dealt with conflict by presenting new information and dealing with it, and God had opened the door. And then a third, a third example of Paul when they left Jerusalem, they were going to go back and visit the churches they'd been in before. Ephesus and Corinth and, oh, a number of others. And Barnabas says, I'll get in touch with John Mark and he'll come with us. And Paul said, he is not coming with us. Last time he came with us and we got way off on the end of an island and he turned and ran home because things were a little bit tough. You can fool me once, but you're not going to fool me twice, said Paul. 
And Barnabas says, I think this young man deserves a second chance. And the scripture says, they spoke sharply to each other. I think those words were loaded. Who was right? Who was wrong? What they finally agreed to do was Paul would take Silas and Barnabas would take John Mark. And they would double their efforts. Paul knew how to deal with conflict. He knew there was a time to, if not raise his voice, use his intellect. He knew there was a time to say in the prioritization of all of life, it's not worth too much for me to have a vegetarian dinner when I'd really like to have a steak. And he knew that sometimes, sometimes the best way to deal with a conflict is to move on is to move on and offer grace and peace to others. How do we deal with conflict? What kind of packages does God give us for dealing with conflict? How is God helping you in the midst of conflict? I think we'd all agree that God is not calling us to shout, loud, to shout louder. And God is not asking us to question the intelligence of anyone who doesn't believe exactly as we do. What is God calling us to do? Let me return to the reading that we began with from Romans. Reading this with taking into account the conflict that may be racking our souls, but certainly was Paul's as he went on. Paul begins, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought that what is noble in the sight of all. Paul is saying, you know, it's not going to do much good to really respond to this conflict by turning the volume up or by repeating evil. And then in the 18th verse, if it is possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love the way Paul wrote that. If it is possible, live peaceably with all. What would happen if we as a community of faith were seen as a people who live peaceably even with those who we are in conflict? But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Cannot we leave some things up to God? Cannot we leave room for God to send a youngster who had visited a hardware store 20 years before? Can we not leave the door open that in that package that is delivered to us, there may be additional truth that will help us understand why there is conflict. And then Paul says, no, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, 
you will heap burning coals on their heads. When I read that first as a youngster, heap burning coals on their heads, I thought, God's getting even with them. See, God's on my side. Oh, no, but this says way more than that. The story is told of the pastor of Evanston First Methodist Episcopal Church in the 1940s. One of the great pulpits in Methodism. And the pastor was a, dare I say, rabid, the word doesn't quite fit, rabid pacifist. Now, this was during World War II. And the pastor was not highly thought of by 98% of the Americans. Two executives, business owners, were meeting at the club, and they were sharing stories of life and faith and what was going on. And one of them said, did you see what that blankety-blank pastor of that church said? In, his, in a letter to the editor, he said that pacifism is the way to live to be a Christian. And what is wrong with him? What is, and then the words flowed even stronger. And then he said, didn't you used to go to that church? And the other guy said, yes, and I still do. Why, what is wrong with you? And he said, let me tell you. You know that it was three years ago that my wife got cancer. The next year was absolutely impossible. I was angry. I was mad. I was with her through every step of the way. But I wasn't alone. This pastor was there once, twice, three times a week, offering prayers, offering support. I'm still not sure about his understanding of politics and faith, but anyone that will be with me in something like that, I will go listen to on Sunday morning. What I believe Paul is saying here is let your actions open the door to possibilities of grace and freedom and forgiveness that you had never, ever dreamed of. And then, Paul ends that chapter. Do not overcome evil, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What I sense that Paul was saying was, don't allow these conflicts to have fertile ground to grow and destroy not others, but you. What's in the box that God has prepared for us to be delivered? The box that will help us deal with conflict. I think we agree it's not a box that gives us a louder megaphone. I think it's not a box that will sharpen our intellect to be even more nasty to the one who obviously doesn't have as much wisdom as we think we do. I also think that it is not a box that says every time there's conflict, you turn 
and run the other way? Could it be that the box that God is delivering to us is a box that reminds us we may not have the whole story? A box that reminds us that we may only be looking at a portion of the problem that is before us. And a box that reminds us that God's grace is wider than we can possibly understand. Let us thank God that God sends us boxes in the areas that we need them especially. Thank you, God, for the box you have sent our way today. In the name of Christ, we pray.